Welcome to Spiritual Awakening Radio, another installment in my ongoing Christian Vegetarian series, today focused on the teachings, the life and teachings of St. Ephraim the Syrian. Since his teachings also include inner light, later on we'll turn this into a satsang podcast and explore some teachings of St. Ephraim on inner light and some of the other Syriac mystics of the East and saints of the East as well. So, something for everyone hopefully today. Several firsts today. We will explore the Tatian's Gospel Harmony known as the Diatessaron. Of course, this is a first covering the vegetarianism of Ephraim the Syrian. A bit later on in the timeline of Christianity, scroll below to find podcasts about the vegetarianism of Jesus, the vegetarianism of various apostles, the vegetarianism of John the Baptist. So we've focused on the first century a lot, so this is moving things a bit further along. Another first today, I'll be giving some uh, reviews and sharing a little bit about the book vegetarian Christian saints and some of the passages I'll be sharing later on about inner light represent the first time that I've delved into some of those lesser known Syriac mystical texts of the East. So many different firsts today. I will begin by sharing a beautiful poem found in the book Vegetarian Christian Saints, Mystics, Ascetics, and Monks by Dr. Holly Roberts. This is a book of all canonized Catholic and Orthodox saints. So there are other Christian mystics that aren't in this particular book like some of the Beguines, Meister Eckhart, Brethren of the Free Spirit, uh, some of those were vegetarian as well, but these are, by the book, officially canonized saints of Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy, and also Coptic and Syriac Christianity as well. I mean, St. Anthony, the founder of Christian monasticism, was a vegetarian, and he has a chapter in this book, as does St. Pacomius of the more communal form of spiritual community for monks that he founded in Egypt. He was a vegetarian as well. So there are a lot of interesting saints and mystics that we can cover as this series continues from time to time on this channel. Christian Vegetarian Series today, Ephraim the Syrian. And I will also delve into a little bit about John the Baptist, the Diatessaron, and some spiritual teachings of St. Ephraim and other Syriac mystics of the East and saints of the East. There comes a time in the life of each individual when each must choose those values by which to venture forth in his or her life path. Each has been given the opportunity to choose a path, sharing blessings of peace and kindness with each and every being. Each has the ability to look beyond his or her own form so as to feel empathy with those beings whose essence each may never understand. And each has the wisdom to look past 
variations in form, intelligence, and species, so as to not pass judgment upon which beings should live and which should die. As you embark upon your journey, learning the values and passions of the mystic, ascetic, and monastic vegetarian saints, you will learn each saint's concern for all creation and each saint's compassion for other beings. Those saints whose messages are contained within the pages you are about to read truly sought to share God's blessings of peace and mercy with all God's creatures and all God's creation. That is from Vegetarian Christian Saints, Mystics, Ascetics, and Monks by Dr. Holly Roberts, who has presented a very wonderful resource for exploring many great vegetarian saints and mystics within the Christian tradition. Before I get to the St. Ephraim part, a little bit from the introduction of this book where she delves into some earlier times and kind of summarizes a bit about the concept of Christian vegetarianism, which I realize is a new concept for some. Many don't really associate vegetarianism with Jesus, John the Baptist, apostles, early church fathers, and yet it's just a matter of taking a look at the historic record and the evidence. She writes, within the early church, several influential Christians, including vegetarians, such as Tertullian, Clement of Alexandria, and Origen of Alexandria, pleaded with others that humans and animals should live together in peace. It's also interesting to note that Tertullian believed in the books of Enoch and referred to the books of Enoch as scripture. Uh, I have a a podcast on the books of Enoch. Scroll below and you'll find the Enoch series, The Case for the Books of Enoch. Other ancient Christian philosophers, she writes, including Hegesippus and St. Augustine, wrote that St. James never ate animal flesh but lived on seeds and vegetables. Here, she is referring to the Apostle James, also known as the brother of the Lord, James the Righteous, James the Teacher of Righteousness, also known as James the Just, brother of Jesus. The Apostle Thomas was a brother of Jesus also and is considered the twin, sometimes is referred to as Thomas the twin or Judas Didymos Thomas. And you know what? The Church of India, I mean, they say, it is said that the Apostle Thomas traveled east and ended up in India. See the book, The Acts of Thomas. You know what? The icon of the Indian Christians, the icon of St. Thomas, shows Thomas looking very much like Jesus, very much like the twin of Jesus. Judas Didymos Thomas. Just thought I'd share that. A little bit more from the book Vegetarian Christian Saints, Mystics, Ascetics, and Monks by Dr. Holly Roberts, just giving you a sense of uh, what's in this book. 
Clement of Alexandria denounced meat eaters as gluttons and reminded his hearers, quote, the apostle Matthew partook of seeds and nuts and vegetables without flesh. See my earlier podcast on the vegetarianism of the apostles, vegetarian sayings of Jesus, as well as about the vegetarianism of John the Baptist, the whole mistranslation of a certain Greek word issue, locust versus carob bread. You know, you'll find that below as well if you scroll through past podcasts. In addition to vegetarian passages about John the Baptist preserved in the Aramaic Syriac tradition of Ephraim, we find that there is evidence from the diatessaron. And I did not include this when I was putting together my John the Baptist podcast a while back. So I thought I would include that today because St. Ephraim comments on the diatessaron gospel, thus the need to explain what that is. And that neat reference to the vegetarianism of John the Baptist contained therein. St. Ephraim, just to give you an introduction to St. Ephraim the Syrian, St. Ephraim was born around the year 305 AD and passed on in 373. According to the Gospel text that St. Ephraim the Syrian used, John the Baptist did not eat locusts with honey, but was described as a vegetarian. The Gospel Ephraim the Syrian used said that John the Baptist lived off of, quote, the milk of the mountains and honey, unquote. In other words, the food of the promised land as described in the Hebrew scriptures, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 3. For more on the vegetarian diet of John the Baptist, according to a variety of ancient Christian texts and scholars, scroll back in my collection of podcasts here. To see my John the Baptist podcast of November 2020 to delve into the mistranslation issue over the word locusts, reference to St. John's tree, the St. John's tree of the Middle East, and an exploration of a collection of early Christian writings about John the Baptist, including about his desert, ascetic, plant-based diet in the wilderness of Judea which was not far from the headquarters of the Dead Sea Scroll folks, the Essene branch of Judaism just up the road, also known for being vegetarians. A word about the gospel that St. Ephraim the Syrian used. Ephraim did not use the four separate gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but one large mega-gospel, in the Aramaic Syriac language known as Tatian's Gospel Harmony, also known as the Diatessaron, as well as known as the Gospel of the Mixed. That would be a good translation of the Diatessaron, the word Diatessaron. Ephraim wrote a commentary using the Diatessaron Gospel. The Diatessaron represented a combination of early antecedent versions, early versions 
of Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. Versions that are no longer with us. I mean, early on in the tradition of manuscripts. Early antecedent versions of Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John that predate the manuscripts of these Gospels that survive today, along with passages from other early Gospels as well, such as the Gospel of the Hebrews and Gospel of the Ebionites. That there's some Gospel of Thomas-type passages in the original unredacted Diatessaron is due more likely to some overlap between the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of the Hebrews. I mean, the Gospel of Thomas could have been also included as a source for the Diatessaron, but it's just as likely it might actually be more likely that the Gospel of the Hebrews and Thomas shared some sayings in common. So sayings of Jesus that we might think of as being associated with the Gospel of Thomas might actually have come from the Gospel of the Hebrews, and that would be the source for those that are quoted in Tatian's Gospel Harmony, those Thomas-like sayings that sometimes turn up. The importance and influence of Syriac spirituality. Spirituality in the Syriac tradition by Professor Sebastian Brock. Syriac spirituality forms a distinct Oriental Christian tradition. It exists alongside Greek and Latin spirituality, which provide the basis of modern Western Christian tradition. Its importance within Christian tradition as a whole lies in the fact that it alone is an authentic representative of the Semitic world, out of which the Bible sprung, though Greek and Latin spirituality, of course, are also deeply rooted in the Bible. Nevertheless, they find expression not in Semitic but non-Semitic languages and in westernized thought forms of one kind or another earliest Syriac spirituality, especially the writings before about A.D. 400, is expressed in Semitic thought forms which have not yet undergone strong influence from Greek culture and thought patterns. So I'm giving you an introduction to the tradition of which St. Ephraim the Syrian is from. Looked at in another perspective, one can see that Syriac spirituality is the product of an authentically Asian form of Christianity. It thus contrasts with Greek and Latin spirituality, which are essentially the products of European forms of Christianity. More, moreover, because Syriac spirituality has authentic Asian roots, it is free from European cultural baggage with which Western forms of Christianity are usually associated. Appropriately enough, the oldest form of Christianity in India, going back to the very beginning of Christianity in the first century, is this genuinely Asian Christian tradition provided by Syriac Christianity. That's from Professor Sebastian Brock of Oxford University, 
from a book called Spirituality in the Syriac Tradition, providing somewhat of an introduction to this very little-known tradition just to the east of Eastern Orthodoxy in a region known as Mesopotamia, also around the Persian Gulf, in that region of the world. St. Ephraim the Syrian is honored as a saint in the Eastern and Western churches alike, recognized in the West as well. He was born in Persia early in the 4th century. Because of persecution, he moved to Edessa and spent the last decade of his life there in a cave. He died in A.D. 373, a prolific writer and revered teacher he was made Doctor of the Church by Pope Benedict the Fifteenth back in 1920. Ephraim the Syrian would be read in the monastic tradition along with Saint Isaac of Nineveh. You know, would be one of those great mystics of the East that would be studied by monastics of all kinds and anyone interested in Christian contemplative spirituality. I want to delve into the teachings now of St. Ephraim the Syrian, also known as the Harp of the Spirit. There is a chapter dedicated to him in this very fine book I've been checking out lately called Vegetarian Christian Saints, Mystics, Ascetics, and Monks by Dr. Holly Roberts. St. Ephraim was born in the early part of the 4th century in Mesopotamia when the entire region was under Roman rule. His parents were Christian and he was raised to value truth and to have reverence for the Lord. At the age of 18, he allied himself with the bishop of his region and became eventually head of their school. Thrice the Persians tried to capture the city in which he lived and finally won control of it through a negotiated conquest. All Christians were forced to abandon the city and St. Ephraim fled to live in a secluded cave in the rocky cliffs overlooking the city of Edessa. Such a lifestyle suited his humble needs as well as all he sought had been a life of austerity. He lived on a scant vegetarian diet consisting of a few vegetables and small quantities of barley bread daily. It was during such times of solitude and contemplation that St. Ephraim wrote the major portion of his spiritual works. St. Ephraim was the only Syrian priest to have been honored by all branches of the Christian church, east to west. He possessed deep insight concerning the mysteries of God, the value of sacred song, and the need for humankind to remain sympathetic toward all others. He lived as a vegetarian to avoid desiring possessions of any sort and to avoid inflicting harm upon weaker beings. 
He was a man who truly sought nothing from this world but the opportunity to contribute to it. Those are excerpts from the chapter dedicated to St. Ephraim the Syrian in this book that represents a collection of Christian vegetarian saints by Dr. Holly Roberts called Vegetarian Christian Saints, Mystics, Ascetics, and Monks. What a wonderful treasure this book is. And it's really amazing the large number of Christian saints and mystics that are included in the pages of this book, including major figures such as St. Anthony of Egypt, vegetarian, and St. Pacomius of Egypt, vegetarian. It's a very wonderful book, and I'm glad to know about it. St. Ephraim the Syrian, Spiritual Teachings. This is excerpted from a hymn of Ephraim. St. Ephraim was very much influenced by a collection of early Christian hymns known as the Book of the Odes. And St. Ephraim composed his own ode-like psalms or hymns as well. He says, Those who have chosen Daniel's diet of vegetables, and before Daniel, kings with their crowns bowed down and did reverence, souls like these do the trees, not kings, Extol. That's a reference to the book of Daniel and Daniel's vegetarian diet. And that is something that some in the West have noticed, have taken notice of before. The diet of Genesis chapter 1 was vegan, and some denominations of Christianity and spiritual movements over the centuries have noticed that. The pure, original, ideal, back-to-Eden diet was vegan. And also there are passages in the book of Daniel that some have noticed in the Christian world that affirm the health and desire ability to follow a vegetarian diet. St. Ephraim the Syrian, from a kind of Syriac philokalia, a collection of mystical texts, called The Syriac Fathers on Prayer and the Spiritual Life by Professor Sebastian Brock is a real treasure trove of writings of St. Ephraim the Syrian and others from the Syriac East, just east of Eastern Orthodoxy in Mesopotamia and around the Persian Gulf and all the way to India, the Martama Christians of India. All of these are considered great saints and mystics of Eastern Christianity, I thought I'd share with you some passages, some spiritual teachings of St. Ephraim the Syrian. Blessed is the person who has consented to become the close friend of faith and of prayer. He lives in single-mindedness and makes prayer and faith stop by with him. Prayer that rises up in someone's heart serves to open up for us the door of heaven. That person stands in converse with God. 
In a single body are both prayer and faith to be found, the one hidden, the other revealed, the one for the hidden one, the other to be seen. Hidden prayer is for the hidden ear of God, while faith is for the visible ear of humanity. Truth and love are like wings that cannot be separated, for truth cannot fly without love, nor can love soar aloft without truth. Isn't that great? That's from St. Ephraim the Syrian. Truth and love are like wings that cannot be separated, for truth cannot fly without love, nor can love soar aloft without truth. Let prayer wipe clean the murky thoughts. Let faith wipe clean the senses outwardly. And let one such man who is divided collect himself and become one before you. In the luminous silence within your mind, let prayer gather itself without wandering. Truth is its bridal chamber, and love its crown. Quiet and silence are the assistants standing at the gate. Oh, may he bring me too into that garden, at the sound whose name I am overwhelmed by joy. My mind bursts its reins as it goes forth to contemplate him. Hold me worthy that we may become heirs in your kingdom. I behold a dwelling there and a tabernacle of light. I saw them clothed with the robe of light. The soul is your bride, the body your bridal chamber. Your guests are the senses and the thoughts, says St. Ephraim the Syrian. References here to divine light, contemplation, and a bridal chamber. Gospel of Thomas saying 75, many are standing at the door, but the single ones are the ones who will enter the bridal chamber. That's an interesting parallel. Whenever I find parallels between a Syriac source and the Gospel of Thomas, I like to point those out. You'll find a number of those on this channel. As well as, I have a program on the spirituality of the Syriac mystics of the East, and of course a number of programs on the Gospel of Thomas, and most of those share parallels between Syriac authors and the Gospel of Thomas, about the single one not being divided, but becoming a person of light, where light is present. But if one is divided, one will be filled with darkness. All of these fascinating parallels between Syriac saints and the Gospel of Thomas. I like pointing those out. The single eye, third eye, inner light. Meister Eckhart once said, if God is to be seen, then it must happen in a light, as God himself is light. 
Simeon the New Theologian, another light mystic of the East. Our mind is pure and simple. When it is emptied of thought, it enters the pure and simple light of God and finds nothing but light. Simeon the New Theologian is considered a light mystic of the Orthodox world, along with St. Isaac of Nineveh and several other fascinating saints that Thomas Merton wrote about in that book, Disputed Questions. This is from Dionysus. The simple, absolute, and immutable mysteries of divine truth are hidden in the superluminous darkness. For this darkness, though of deepest obscurity, is yet radiantly clear, and though beyond touch and sight, is it, it more than fills our unseeing minds with splendors of transcendent beauty. I will reread this. For this darkness, though of deepest obscurity, is yet radiantly clear, and though beyond touch and sight, it more than fills our unseeing minds with splendors of transcendent beauty. This is from St. Augustine. And I entered and beheld with the eye of my soul the light unchangeable. He that knows the truth knows what that light is, and he knows it. He that knows that light knows eternity. This is from a book I've never shared before on any podcast. The Syriac Holy Book of Hierothus on the Hidden Mysteries of the House of God. This is from a spiritual classic east of Eastern Orthodoxy from the Syriac tradition that I've never heard anyone read from or share, you know, certainly in the podcast world. But that's also true of um, you know most of these Syriac mystics and uh, is to some extent even true of St. Ephraim the Syrian. Side by side with the labors which you experience with your body, learn also little by little the labors of the mind through which you attain the purity of heart which sees God in the revelation of the light. The one who does not cut off all memories and remembrances from himself will not possess pure prayer, nor will he be worthy of spiritual prayer will not see in himself the holy light of his mind, nor will the divine light of the glory of Christ shine in his soul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's also from the Syriac holy book of Hierothus on the hidden mysteries of the house of God. Sounding a lot like Meister Eckhart there. And that's no accident. Meister Eckhart was very much into the influence of Platonism and the teachings of Dionysus. And it just so happens that this book of Hierothus was written by, as far as I am aware, the spiritual teacher of Dionysus. And so this idea of no one can know God unless they tune out the the world fast from the world, enter into a a Sabbath or Shabbat, rest from the creation, 
and all thoughts and memories and impressions, just put all of that on hold. The world of the five senses pouring in, put all of that on hold. Be still and know that I am God. As it says in the book of Psalms, tune out the world so that you may discover your soul. You may find yourself when you get away from the clutter and distractions of the world and the material plane and the five senses. Meister Eckhart taught, taught a lot of, uh, about that, used that kind of language, and uh, we find that as well in the Syriac holy book of Hierathus on the hidden mysteries of the house of God. From another Syriac classic, the Book of Grace, it says, The light of Christ is noetic, spiritual light, and blessed is the soul which is worthy to see it. The one who possesses noetic light has no need of visible light. Now the light of the mind, they say, is the knowledge of the truth, whereby the soul can distinguish the truth from similitudes. The one who has found this has found a treasury of life, it says in the Book of Grace. That term noetic is also used in the Philokalia, the Eastern Orthodox collection of saints and mystics. This is from volume 4 of the Philokalia. The rays of primordial light that illumine purified souls with spiritual knowledge not only fills them with benediction and luminosity, they also, by means of contemplation of the inner essences of created things, lead them up to the noetic heavens. For this reason, St. Nilos said, the intellect's proper state is a noetic height, somewhat resembling the sky's hue or color, which is filled with the light of the Holy Trinity during the time of prayer. That's from the Philokalia, Volume 4. Mentioning that term noetic, and of course it also talks about the ascension of the soul through different noetic heavens, which is fascinating to see. This is from Sant Kripal Singh. Now the question comes, how to open that eye with which he can be seen? He says, when you close your eyes, there is darkness. Look penetratingly into it. Put your whole attention into it. That is knocking on the door, you see, and it shall be opened. You continue to look directly into that, and you will find light. Who will see the light? your very self. Sant Tulsi Sahib said, How to penetrate this darkness? Sit at the feet of a saint. He gives you a boost. You see light. Is it not wonderful? Is it not a miracle? What more miracle is required, says Kripal Singh. This is from Sant Tulsi Das. Take care to retain attention within the two eyebrows. Purifying the mind and body, fix thy gaze at one center, then shall thou penetrate into the beyond, seeing the reality face to face. The dust of the saints spreads before thee a carpet of light. 
the divine light of the infinite Lord, who owns the soul and the breath of life, is deep within the inner being. That's a quote from the Adi Granth. Back to Kripal Singh, when God came into expression, there was light and sound. There was light. From light proceeded the sound. This single or third eye provides an ingress into the spiritual worlds, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of the heavens, now a lost realm to most of us. Of this inlet or ingress, little is known by the people at large. That's from Kripal Singh, as is this passage. True love, wisdom, and power are the greatest gifts that one gets by basking in the sunshine of heaven's light. Your task to work with all the passion of your being to acquire an inner light so you escape and are safe from the fires of madness, illusion, and confusion that are and always will be the world, says Rumi. To have inner experiences of godly light and sound is no small thing, and really only the fortunate few, blessed from above, receive them. Another passage from Kripal Singh. If your eye be single, your whole body shall be full of light. From a saying of Yeshua, Matthew 6.22. The following is from the book Morning Talks by Kripal Singh. Everyone has got two eyes, which are open in the face. They have been working ever since birth. All through life we have been working at the level of the two eyes. About 80% of all impressions that are received are from outside and come through the eyes. Those who work only at the level of the two eyes receive either good impressions or bad impressions. Good impressions will react as good actions. Bad impressions will result in bad actions. The very impressions that are embedded in our heart will overflow. It is a very superficial life that we are living. The saints tell us that there is also another eye called variously the third eye, the single eye, or the Shiv Netra. Unless you open that third eye, which can be opened only while in the man body, his term for human form, you are nowhere. It is the eye of the soul, not of the intellect, nor the outgoing faculties. We are ensouled bodies, conscious entities, working through mind and outgoing faculties, That inner eye is opened when our soul, the outward expression of which is called attention, is withdrawn to the seat of the soul in the body, which is at the back of the two eyes. The attention is now working at the level of the eyes, through the mind and outgoing faculties. We are identified with the body, and we have forgotten ourselves. Unless that very attention is withdrawn from outside, and just extricated above the outgoing faculties, 
which end at the level of the eyes, we cannot know who we truly are. At the time of death you come up to this point. Therefore it is said that those who are initiated into the mysteries of the kingdom, their soul has the same experience of leaving the body and the outgoing faculties as it has at the time of death. That eye opens when the attention is withdrawn from outside and then dragged up from the level of the outgoing faculties to the seat of the soul in the body which is at the back of the two eyes. That is the place where man leaves the body at the time of death. As Kabir says, just direct your attention to the seat above the outgoing faculties. Kirpal Singh, when your attention reaches that point, your inner eye opens. We are physical bodies. We are in physical bodies. We are conscious entities. We are so much tied up with mind and matter that we cannot differentiate ourselves. We have to leave the physical, transcend the astral, and go further beyond the causal, supercausal, and reach the true home of our Father. This is the true destination for each one of us. This single or third eye provides an ingress into the spiritual world, the kingdom of the heavens, now a lost realm to most of us. Of this inlet or ingress, little is known by the people at large. Just to repeat that sentence from Kirpal Singh. This is also from Kirpal Singh. To live in the human form without seeing the light of God within is a waste of a human life. It is a life without real meaning. Of what use is a tree that does not bear fruit? If the light of God is not manifest in you, it is a waste of precious human birth, said Sant Kripal Singh. When the light is seen shining within your heart and the music of the spheres becomes audible, you behold the light in all that is outside. You see the one light in all. This is the universal vision, and the one is in all in all. The middle region of the sky wherein the spirit dwelleth is radiant with the music of light, said Kabir. And in conclusion, I want to share with you something from the Syriac tradition on the light of the single eye, if your eye be single. This is from the writings of Joseph the Visionary. And is found in the book The Syriac Fathers on Prayer and the Spiritual Life, translated from Syriac Aramaic into English by Professor Sebastian Brock of Oxford University, someone I've talked to before and have emailed from time to time, one of the great translators of Syriac saints, bringing many of them for the first time into the English language, including Joseph the Visionary. The impulses of the mind are extended from the sphere of material things toward those impulses which are without limit. That is to say, wonder at the new world and the faculty of vision which belongs to the contemplation of the Holy Trinity. 
For when the vision of the mind is mingled with the light of the glorious Trinity, all its impulses become infinite. For none of the visionaries or Gnostics is able to distinguish the identity of the mind as a result of the vision of that glorious light that is seen. For all the innermost chambers of the heart are filled by that blessed light. And there are no shapes or forms or anything material or number or color. Rather, that light who cannot be separated out into shapes and forms is single owing to the simpleness of the faculty of sight. This too, I have to tell you, at such a time there is no longer any kind of movement there or any kind of thought or any kind of mental process. Only a state of wonder that is beyond all mental processes, impulses, or thoughts, said Joseph the visionary. Thank you for joining me today for Spiritual Awakening Radio, exploring the vegetarianism of St. Ephraim the Syrian as part of my ongoing Christian vegetarian series from time to time on this channel. I explored the vegetarianism of one of the great saints and mystics of the past, or scriptures, or apostles, writings such as the Clementine homilies, sayings of Jesus from Syriac, Aramaic. The John the Baptist material was fascinating, and that was something that I come across a while back. And it's great being able to share this material, something I enjoy doing, uh, just so that this gets done and others are introduced to this and may also do podcasts or write articles you know, making use of some of this same material so it gets spread around on out there as it certainly deserves to. Wrapping things up, this is once again a passage from St. Augustine on the divine light seen by the single eye, the eye of the soul. St. Augustine. And I entered and beheld with the eye of my soul the light unchangeable. He that knows the truth knows what that light is. And he that knows it knows eternity.